0: Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou
1: and Daniel Puentes. This episode contains discussion about transphobia and murder that could be disturbing and triggering for some listeners.
0: Today we're going to be discussing a very important topic. Something that many people may not know is that transgender homicides were committed using guns. We welcome our guest, Harnoor Kaur, who researches how there's misrepresentation of transgender homicides in the media. Harnur, can you please introduce yourself for us?
2: Hi, my name is Harnour and I'm an international student from India and I'm going to be a sophomore in the fall of 2020. And I'm a double major in criminal justice and political science with a minor in peace and justice studies.
1: Thanks for joining us today, Hanur. Criminal justice and political science are two pretty common majors that people are familiar with. But something I've learned today now is that there's this minor in peace and justice studies. What does it mean to pursue a minor in this field? And how do you use all three areas of your studies to implement your research?
2: So a minor in peace and justice studies is basically, it focuses a lot on like social movements and anthropology and stuff. And A lot of it is also historical and history related. So when I combine the social component of my minor with peace and justice, with criminal justice and political science, I think it gives me a very balanced outlook and perspective to look at something like transgender homicide in the media.
0: I find that fascinating. A few weeks ago, we had an interview about biological anthropology. You said that you're studying transgender homicide with the media. What specifically are you studying this aspect?
2: What we basically focused on was how the media was reporting these homicides that were taking place and how the victims were portrayed in their print stories and how sometimes things that were detrimental to the character of the victim were used so that higher views could be gathered for news stories and videos could get more views and stuff like that. And how that in itself is very harmful and detrimental for the trans community and people who struggle with transitioning and uses of correct pronouns, which is something we still struggle with as a society at large. So that is something what we focused on.
1: It's really unfortunate that these homicides are being misrepresented in such a negative light. What are some of the ways that the media is incorrectly portraying the homicides of these transgender people? And how does this hurt the transgender community?
2: Something that we noticed when we were going through these news articles and print media was that there were a bunch of things that were consistent that are harmful to how the trans community is being portrayed. Some of them were like dead naming. And dead naming is basically when you use a person's name, a name that was assigned to them before they transitioned into a gender or identity they were comfortable with. And news stories were sometimes using the names uh these individuals had before they transitioned. And... A few other things were they would use booking photos which basically means that they would use photos of the victims from when they were arrested if they ever were and something like pre-transition pictures was also used sometimes which means they were pictures that these individuals had clicked before they transitioned into an identity or gender they were comfortable with. So all of these things collectively are not appreciated in the trans community and they should not be since they do not respect the pronouns and the identity that a particular person has assumed
0: it's disrespectful that they're using photos from their pre-transition period especially whenever it's their mugshots. that gives a negative connotation on them it's terrible to do this to someone especially someone who's murdered whenever the media is reporting this are they aware that they're doing this or are they doing this unconsciously maybe they didn't realize that they're misrepresenting the people of the transgender community
2: I feel sometimes it happens because these statements are taken from family members and most times family members also do not accept people or individuals after they transition and continue to use pronouns they use before their transition. So if news media stories take direct quotes from family members, they tend to use the same pronoun in the rest of their story. And to answer your question about whether they do it intentionally or not is something I don't think I can answer. But what I do know is that the family members And the acceptance in the family plays a huge role in how these victims end up being reported by the media.
1: That's something that I never even realized how these news stations are actually reporting on these stories. Usually, the content they're getting is from their families, and it makes sense that the family could use pre transition photos if they weren't accepting of who the victim was in the first place. However, I wonder about what happens when the detectives are investigating the results of this homicide. Are they misrepresenting the murder victims themselves? And if so, how does that affect how they establish the motivation of the murder?
2: So that definitely is something that happens a lot. And we did notice it when we were researching and going through stuff that a lot of reasons why these homicides take so much time to come up is because a lot of the times the detectives themselves misgender the victim, which makes it harder for people associated with the victim to actually find out where this missing individual is. And for the story to come out as it being a homicide of a trans individual. And yes, that definitely plays a big role in helping us understand whether it was a hate crime or whether it was just a simple homicide or murder.
0: I agree. If they're misgendering the victim, they won't be able to identify who the murderer was. And then if they're not taking into account that they're a transgender individual, then that can even skew the data even more and then they really won't find out if it's a hate crime or not. But now to delve into your research a little bit more, how are you studying this specifically?
2: We look up the name of the victim and all the news stories that were published in regard to this particular story, and we go through all of them and we quote the information that is given in these different stories. That is how we come down and we gather all this data and then we um, analyze it and see what percentage of them were misgendering the victims, what percentage of them were using pre-transition pictures, and what percentage of them had booking pictures, or what percentage of them had family members who were misgendering the victim. That is how we gather information and come down and analyze stuff and come to conclusion.
1: It sounds like it's a lot of data mining that you have to do, comparing different factors that could play into the homicide of a murder victim. One of these factors I think about include the geography of where the murder actually took place. Do you focus on a specific area within the United States, such as like Michigan, for example, or do you study the United States as a whole?
2: we look at all the trans homicides that took place in a particular year we were focusing on 2019 so all trans homicides that took place in the us in 2019 was our sample data set and that is what we used and um, analyzed to get information
0: that's great that you're looking at recent data considering we're in 2020 right now are you looking at every news media that is doing this Or are you getting your data from mainstream media sources, or are you also looking at local grassroots news media sources?
2: We definitely do look at grassroots news sources, and basically, whatever we find available to us is what we use. We do have mainstream media sources, we also have news sources that are For example, HRC, the Human Rights Commission, is one of the most popular ones. They definitely do track a lot of the homicides that take place. That is something we use a lot. And also grassroots media sources. If, for example, it's in a small city and the local city newspaper reported it, we would use it.
1: From what I've gathered, it sounds like you have a diverse range of data that you could pull some interesting information out of once the analysis has been complete. Did you see if there was a prevalence to misrepresent transgender people in the mainstream media versus more local grassroots media? And were there any maybe hotspots where within the nation there was a large prevalence of misgenderizing the murder victim?
2: So definitely, I think when we did look at what news sources were mostly misgendering individuals or using pre-transition pictures, it wouldn't be something as big as New York Times or like the Wall Street Journal, just given how many readers they have and what kind of a large audience they have. So it would definitely come down to papers or news story media houses that do not have a very large audience or readership percentage. And answering your question about where in the country... I don't think there was a specific area that had a very high percentage of media people misgendering or using pre-transition pictures and stuff. I think it was generally a trend that we could witness throughout the U.S.
1: I think the impact of this project is going to be large once you've finished analyzing the results of it. But this makes me curious about the data that you currently have. Did you observe from the data if there was maybe a larger prevalence of misgenderizing somebody based off of their race alone?
2: I think it's important to note that most of the victims were black trans women. So the misgendering is more of like an issue that impacts the entire trans community. But the fact that most of these victims were black trans women says something about how disadvantaged this one particular group of individuals is even in the trans community.
0: I want to state that Danny and I are allies of the transgender community. It is important to listen to how people are feeling and to amplify their voices. However, Hartner, I want to hear from you. How can people be allies of the transgender community and show their support?
2: I think the most important thing that anybody could do to be a good ally to a community is to educate themselves, to read about the community, and read about issues that impact the people in the community. For example, if you would want to be a really good ally to the trans community, understand the, that using the correct pronouns is It might seem small, but it impacts the individuals you're interacting with and it makes them feel very welcome and invited and like they're part of something. And the fact that you use a correct tone to address someone, it could signify to them that their transition mattered and the fact that they're more comfortable in their skin matters to other people too. So it's the little things like that and just being supportive of them, coming out and speaking for them, giving something I believe in personally is when you do, when you want to be a good ally and you have a more privileged position than the other person, always pass on the mic. Let them speak for themselves. Let them talk about what bothers them instead of speaking for them. Always use your privilege to lift other people up instead of speaking for other people.
1: I agree with everything that you're saying, and especially the point on amplifying the voices of the transgender community, and that even goes for other disenfranchised minority groups as well. It's also especially important to take into account the person's pronouns that they're using, as well as never using their dead name, as it's extremely disrespectful to them. You've been involved with your research group now for the past year, but could you explain what was the inspiration for you to join this research group?
2: to join this research group when I came across it was just the basic fact that I'm very passionate about everything that comes along with civil rights and human rights and how particular communities and groups of people sometimes don't have access to the same rights that the rest of the population has. And the LGBTQ community is one of those groups. And just knowing that I could combine my interest in um, the support and upliftment of the LGBTQ community with my interest in rights and civil liberties... That is something that really interested me, which is why I ended up working on this project even during the summer.
1: Thanks for speaking to us this morning, Harnoor. I think this is a really important topic that people need to be aware of, and good luck with the rest of your future research.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: The Sci-Files is hosted by Chelsea Voodoo and Dayan Puentes on Impact 89FM. Thank you to our news director, Taylor Halterman, Program Director Amber Konutsky, Station Manager Joe Dandrin, and General Manager Jeremy Whiting.
0: The SciFiles can be found online on scifiles.org and on your favorite podcast directory. If you're an MSU student and want to be featured on SciFiles, or if you have any questions, you can contact us at scifiles at impact 9 fmorg Thanks for listening, and remember the truth is in the science.